Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. Uh, We have made our way through the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark. It's taken us about six months, and so we're trucking right along. Um, We did take a break, though, so give us some grace. Um, We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 today, and so we got a uh, quite a bit of text that we're going to go through. Uh, I would encourage you to get your Bibles out if you brought one. Open up your uh, Bible app if you have that. If not, the, the scripture will be up here on the screen behind me for you to follow along. Uh, November of 2016, Kanye West had a concert in Sacramento, California. And at this concert, there were about 20,000 people in attendance um, ready to see Kanye just do his thing. And he gets up there, he uh, plays two songs, and then he goes on a 15 to 20 minute rant about the radio industry, um, the, the nature of being famous. He talks about politics and uh, celebrity culture, and then he ends his show. That's, uh, that's not what you pay to see if you go to a concert. Um, and so I imagine that there were fans who left that place uh, pretty angry, right? Pretty uh, bewildered, if you will, that uh, what did I just witness? What just took place in front of me? I came to this concert and I heard a lesson from Kanye West about politics and fame. Um, and uh, they left, I'm sure, scratching their heads. And so... Um, they did not receive what they expected to receive on that day. And I think um, a, a similar situation actually happened earlier this month. On January 14th, uh, there was about 100,000 people that um, gathered together uh, and left in bewilderment as they watched the Dallas Cowboys forget how to play football. <laughs> in real time, they showed up expecting a, a playoff win. That's not what they got, and they left that stadium, Jerry World, scratching their head, confused as to what just happened. Uh, We had expectations of this, and this is what we received. What did I just witness? Right, I think we have a similar situation in our text today, right? Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has gained a following. He has developed this crowd following that goes with him wherever he goes. They want to see him preach. They want to see him heal people. And it is um, in this crowd that we know that there are different types of followers, right? There are those who are close to him, his disciples. There's the 12, but there's also many more disciples of his that are truly following him. Then we have the Pharisees, and these Pharisees were following him and were watching every move he made, hoping to trap him in some sort of snare and destroy his ministry. And then we have the other followers, the fans of Jesus who wanted to see the show. They had heard about Jesus through their friend or their neighbor, uh, and they wanted to come and see what it was that Jesus was preaching about. They wanted to see him heal people. They wanted to see him cast out demons. And so I think Mark paints a picture for us of this reality, that he shows us that there are clearly followers who are disciples and trust Jesus and want to receive his word and they want to live out his will. And then there are followers of Jesus that look more like fans, that are distant, that aren't actually holding on to what Jesus is saying. They're not looking to submit their life to him. They are following him for the wrong reasons with their own agenda. And so I think what we're going to see today 
in our text that there is a crowd that has come expecting something from Jesus, and I think Jesus is going to leave them scratching their heads a little bit. What did I just witness? What just happened here? But I think he's doing it because he's going to say some statements that are difficult. He's going to tell a story that's confusing, but I think he's doing all of it to draw a line in the sand between true and fake follower. So I don't know where you are as you came into church today. I don't know if you are distant from Jesus, if you are close to Jesus as you have ever been. I don't know if you're expecting to hear an uplifting, positive message, but it might not quite be that today as we look at our text. But my prayer, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself is that we would um, allow the truth of God. We would allow the words that Jesus is speaking here through the power of the Holy Spirit to take root in our lives. That we would allow ourselves that in this moment we would just ask God to soften our hearts to hear from him today. No matter what he has to tell us. And so, let's go ahead and jump into our text in Mark 4. We'll be in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the soils, um, the four different soils that Jesus talks about. It's often called the parable of the sower, um, but either way, it's uh, the seed that is being thrown out and landing on different soil. And so, let's get into it. We have a lot of ground to cover today. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. So we get this scene. There's thousands of people there. They are pressing in on Jesus. And Jesus gets in a boat, takes it off into the sea a little bit just to have some distance between himself and the people. And he begins to teach in parables. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. What is a parable? Maybe you've heard it is a heaven or a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is an accurate, simple description. A parable is literally just an illustration, right? The word parable comes from the same root word parallel to lay two things beside each other that he would give a story that was very common and that the people would understand and he would lay that beside a deeper spiritual meaning. So that's where we are. Verse 3, Jesus is telling this parable. He said to them, listen. Pay attention to what I have to say. Are you listening to me right now? Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So this is a common scenario or understanding, common story that these people would have realized exactly what Jesus is talking about. They were an agricultural society, um, and many of them probably sowed seeds on their own land to grow their own crops. A, a man would have a, a bag, and around his waist it would be full of seed, and he would just broadcast this seed every which direction, landing on these different types of ground. And Jesus gives us these four types. It can land on a hard or packed down path. Think of a sidewalk, and birds would come, and they would snatch up that seed. The second one would be 
the rocky ground. And this isn't like your beautiful desert landscape with your quarter round. Uh, This is a a bedrock, think limestone in this area of the world, that this limestone would be hard rock and there would be just a little bit of dirt on top of that rock. And so there's no depth for the plant and it would end up withering away. The third ground is thorny ground and it would have these thorns. The seed would sprout and it would try to grow, but the thorn would choke it out. And then the fourth type of ground is good soil where the crop would be produced at 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so the crowd receives this. They're like, okay, I got it. This guy's throwing seed everywhere. Most of it's landing on things where it's not going to grow, whatever. That's interesting. But what, Jesus, what do you mean by this? Explain it to us, Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. I think this is the point where a lot of people start scratching their head because what we see is that Jesus says this line and then he's done. He leaves. Like this is the end of his sermon. Like he just said a bunch of stuff, told a story that's kind of vague and kind of confusing. He goes, if you have ears to hear, may you hear. And I think that's really um, the point of his parable that he gives here. He is practicing his parable, and we will look at that here in just a few minutes as we dive deeper into it. But uh, yeah, Jesus doesn't explain this parable. But when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, I think it's significant. I think it's a really big deal, and Jesus is doing it with a purpose. He is saying that those who are truly wanting to understand those whose hearts are soft enough to hear and understand and listen to what I am telling them, may those people understand. May those people, my true followers, my true disciples, may they pick up what I am laying down. If you're a parent in the room, you understand that there's a difference between hearing and hearing, right? You tell your child to do something, And they're like, okay, yeah. You know that there's a difference between your ears picking up the reverberation and the sound of noise. That's different than understanding what you just told me, comprehending it, and now doing it, right? Jesus understands. I tell this to my two-year-old. I make sure she's looking me in the eye. I get down on her level. I say, do you hear me? Still doesn't usually work. But Jesus knows that there were many there on this day that would hear him but would not understand him. I think a perfect example of this is my really funny dad joke that I told a few minutes ago. Some of you went right over your head. Maybe you still didn't hear it. You're just not as funny as I am. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Jesus is saying here, hey, I know that there are some people that are going to hear the word of God, but they're not going to understand it. It's our first point today. Many people will hear the word of God, but won't understand it. This is a true and sobering fact for us. This is hard to take that there are people in that crowd that day who were excited to hear Jesus speak, and they left without hearing him truly speak. 
that there are people in this church, there are people across churches all over the world today that show up to hear God speak and they are leaving without truly hearing his voice. Just because somebody is a follower of Jesus at a distance, at an arm's length, I'm a fan of Jesus, doesn't mean that you are necessarily receiving understanding and the teaching and the truth of God. Jesus was not fooled into thinking that every fan was a follower and neither should we. We should realize that this is a reality. And then here we get some more difficult verses, verse 10 through 12. And when he was alone, right, he, he, he said, ears to hear, let him hear. And then he leaves and he's surrounded by his disciples. Those around him and the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. The disciples go to Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, here's the deal. I know you're talking in these stories, these parables, but they're kind of confusing, Jesus. Like what does that have to do with our spiritual realities? They're pretty confusing. And Jesus says, hey, you are going to understand the deeper meaning. To you, I am going to reveal the truth of what I am saying here. But to those who are the outside, to those who are not my true followers, I'm speaking in parables so that they do not understand. And he quotes Isaiah 6 there, as you can see on the screen. And Jesus is preaching in parables to reveal to those who are near to him and to conceal to those who are far off from him. And so, why is he doing this? Why would Jesus not want every single person present that day to understand the truth? Why would Jesus not want every single person that day to turn from their sin and to begin a relationship with him? It seems confusing to us, but I think we need to look at Isaiah 6. Let's look at the context there. Isaiah is a prophet of God who is preaching to the people of Israel. And we get this interchange in Isaiah 6, verses 8 through about 11, where God says, Whom shall I send to go preach to these people? And then we get this famous quote from Isaiah where he says, Here I am, send me. And we love that verse. It gets us excited. It gets us, oh, I'm going to go. Uh, here I am, God. Send me out to do your work, God. We put it on coffee mugs. We put it on posters. We get really excited about it. But I think a lot of times we don't look at the next few verses of this conversation that God has with Isaiah. But it's in that next three, four verses that Jesus quotes here where he says, they may see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. You see that the people that Isaiah was going and taking the message of God to would never accept it. The people that Isaiah was preaching to would never accept him. They would never turn their hearts toward God, that they were living in complete rebellion, complete rejection to God. And I think Jesus realized that in this crowd that he was speaking to, it was the same thing. 
that many would hear him speak, but they wouldn't understand. Remember that there were the Pharisees present, the Pharisees that were just looking to entrap Jesus. They were looking to um, take Jesus' life from him. There were also these fans that were just there for the show. They invited their friends. They, they were invited by a friend. They brought this person who they thought has to have a demon because Jesus is going to heal them. They were there for what Jesus could offer, but they weren't truly there for what Jesus was saying and calling them to. And it seems like Jesus is saying if they aren't willing to search and seek out the truth, I'm not going to give it to them. Jesus is allowing them to remain hard-hearted. He's allowing them to stay in their rejection and in their unbelief of God. This is hard to hear. He is revealing to some and he is concealing to others. Every um, commentary that I was looking at preparing to preach today, um, talked about this being one of the more difficult sayings of Jesus in the entire New Testament. So I appreciate Alex letting me preach today, um, giving me the opportunity to tackle this one. Here's what we need to know. The heart of Jesus, the heart of God, is that not one soul would perish. That is the truth. Jesus would desire for all to come to know him. We see that in verses like 2 Peter 3.9, John 3.16, Matthew 18.14, 1 Timothy 2.4. However, just because Jesus has a heart that not one person would perish in his sovereignty and knowing all things, and in his perfect love, he will Harden the hearts of those who will not ever receive his forgiveness. R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary that if we repeatedly hear God's word and refuse to respond to it time and time again, there will come a time when we become so hardened that we not only will not, but we cannot respond. And Jesus knew this. That's what this parable is all about, that there are some whose hearts are so hard that the seed of the gospel cannot penetrate that hard heart. So Jesus is using these parables to conceal the truth from some who will not respond, but he is also using these parables to draw those who truly follow him into a deeper understanding of his teaching. So now he's going to explain it, and, and we should thank God that each and every one of us here, we receive the understanding because it's in Scripture. So verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And so Jesus says, you need this parable before I can give you any other parables. If you don't understand that certain people will receive this truth and certain people will not understand this truth, then you're not going to understand any of the future truth, right? It's common sense. If you receive this one, you understand this one, then you will understand the rest of them. And he says the sower is, or the sower sows the word. And so what is the seed? The seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel. The seed is the truth of God's 
word, and that makes Jesus the sower because he is the one spreading the seed in this instance. And what does that make the ground? Well, we're going to see that that makes the ground the hearts of men. We're going to look at the four different types of soils that Jesus talks about. The four different heart conditions. The first heart is the hardened heart. We see this in verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is a heart that is resistant and rebellious against God. This is a heart that has ignored the things of God to the point where their heart is so hard that it is not possible for them to receive the message of God. I think today it would be foolish to not believe that there are some hard hearts in this room. Maybe your family brought you here today. Maybe you don't like going to church. Maybe you have ignored God speaking into your life time and time again. And my prayer is that your heart would be softened by the Holy Spirit in this moment. That you would be able to receive the word and the truth of God today. And that the enemy would have no hold over you in this place. We then have the shallow heart. Verse 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the heart that lacks true understanding of the gospel. This is a heart that maybe he made a decision to follow Jesus at some point based on emotions or excitement or some shallow reason, but not because the truth had truly taken root in their life. I think we've probably witnessed this before. I saw this a lot as a, as a youth pastor, and we would take students to camp, and at the end of the week, it would be the last night of camp, and the pastor would start preaching his best message that he's ever created, and he would really get excited and start preaching. The music would be playing in the background. He would call these kids out for their sin and the way that they were living in opposition, in opposition of God, and these students would come down, and they'd say, Jacob, I just want to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of sinning in this way. I'm tired of doing things and making God angry, and I'm just getting into trouble all the time. I want to follow Jesus. And then within hours of being back home, they're around friends and it seems like they changed their mind. And maybe you've experienced that in your life or people that you know where the gospel shoots up quickly, but because there's no root to keep it as a firm foundation, it blows over, it withers away and it's gone. So does the gospel take root in your life? That's a question we need to answer. Is your faith based in truth, in the unwavering truth of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, in his justifying, sanctifying work in your life that is unwavering, or is your faith based on excitement, emotions, relationships, friendships within the church? 
Charles Spurgeon has a quote where he says, the religion born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. If our faith is based in anything other than Jesus and his justifying work on the cross, our faith will die as soon as that thing is over. As soon as your friend leaves the church, as soon as you graduate high school and your parents aren't taking you to church anymore, as soon as tribulation and trials come because Jesus tells us that they will, life as a Christian is not going to be rainbows and butterflies. It is going to be difficult often. Our faith is costly. When that happens, do you have a true rooted faith? The third heart is the divided heart, 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches are the desires and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the heart that is living on the fence. This is something that I think many of us in this room have probably experienced, probably in our own lives, that we love Jesus. We have made a decision to follow Jesus, and we love him, but we also want to live our life the way that we want to live our life. We love Jesus, but we also love this thing called sin. Jesus tells us that we cannot live a divided life, that that is not how this works. If you hold on to the things of this world, they will choke out the things of God. They will choke out the gospel fruit in your life. And so you can't be 90% for Jesus and have this 10% of the world over here and think, well, that balances out pretty well in God's favor because this 10% will eat away at the things of God in your life. We need to take seriously the weight of our sin. We can't make compromises with the things of this world, thinking that you have them under control, that the desires of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the way that the enemy is going to lie to you to think that, make you think that you can have both is just that. It's a lie. And it is a tool that he is going to use so that the gospel doesn't flourish and grow and produce fruit in your life. Don't be fooled by the deceitfulness of riches, by the deceitfulness of the desires of our flesh in our life. When I lived in Texas, um, I had this thing called grass um, in my yard. Um, I also had this thing called crabgrass, and crabgrass is a pesky little fella, um, it would grow up. It was this uh, grass that kind of looked like grass up to a certain point, but then it was really rough, and it would produce these seeds that would go out everywhere, and it would just spread like wildfire in my yard, and my Bermuda really took a hit. My nice Bermuda, when I would keep it all mowed, right, I'd keep it short, but you couldn't really tell where the Bermuda started, where the crabgrass started. But I knew that there was Bermuda here and then a little crabgrass in this section and then it went back to Bermuda. And if I kept it mowed, I kind of kept it under control. I couldn't really see the crabgrass. It wasn't sprouting up quicker. But if it rained and I couldn't mow my yard for a week or so, that crabgrass would shoot up so much quicker than the rest of the grass. 
And what used to just be these little group of weeds over here was now spread out over here. And with it, it brought something called sand burrs or little stickers that you would get in your yard. And then it had these other types of weeds that looked like clovers. And all of a sudden, it had all these little demon friends along with it. And because I didn't actually take care and kill the weed that was in the yard, and I thought I had it managed, and I thought it was under control, all of a sudden, my grass grows, and I have crabgrass everywhere. And my neighbor was not a fan of that. Sweet Trudy. <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about Trudy today. We have to take care of the sin in our lives. We can't compromise. We can't be okay with it. Or it will choke out the things that God is trying to do in your life. The fourth heart, the fruitful heart, verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Lastly is the heart that is receptive to whatever God is giving it. Whatever God says goes. Lord, your will be done in my life. I am your servant. I am humbly stepping off of the throne of my life and allowing you to lead because you are Lord. This is the type of heart that seeks to obey God's will. And in that obedience, God actually is going to use that in great ways. Right? When we receive the truth of God, no matter how hard it is to hear, when we receive that truth and we wrestle with it and we say, God, I don't necessarily understand it, but you are God and I am not. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't understand this, so I'm going to submit to your teaching, God. Will you help me understand this? And God uses that soft soil to produce fruit in abundance. This is the heart that all of us should have. This is the heart that I pray for you in this church, that we would lean into whatever God has, that we would allow him to lead in our lives, that we'd be true followers and disciples, not at a distance, but we would lean into what God has. We would surrender our will to God's will. And we know that when we do that, listen, when you do that, Maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe you've been the divided heart for far too long and you think, why is God not using me? I'm told in Scripture that He's going to do this and He's going to do that. Why is that not happening? Because you have thorns, because you have weeds. When we let God lead, when we accept His truth fully, it tells us that He produces fruit in 30, 60, 100 fold. This is the prayer for our church and many of you have this heart. Many of you, it can be seen that you have a heart that receives from God and you can tell through the fruit that you produce to love your neighbors, to love others in this church, to love your family. But what if God produced in all of us this overwhelming fruit that we could spread and love this community with? During the month of February, as Alex talked about, we are going to have a focus on loving our neighbors. This is something that we do all year round, but we're hitting it hard in the month of February. How can you love your neighbor if you aren't producing fruit? How can you love your neighbor if the gospel within your life is being choked out? It is this heart that we need if we are going to extend that love to others. And so I have a question for you. What heart are you today? What soil are you this morning? Here's the, here's the good news. 
Maybe you look back on your life and you're feeling shame in this moment because you know that you were the hard heart that was rebellious against God. You were denying Him. You were in opposition of Him. And maybe you see that there was a time in your life where God really called you into something, but it ended really quickly as soon as trials and tribulation came. Maybe you came to this place and you're sitting here thinking, man, I am the divided heart. I am living this double life and I am not fully walking with God because I am holding on to X, Y, or Z. Here's the good news. Today, do you hear the word of God? Do you hear the Spirit talking to you in this moment? And will you receive it or will you continue to, in your pride, deny the truth of God, deny the Spirit's moving in your life, think that you don't need it, that you don't need to submit because you have carried yourself this far? If you hear the Spirit speaking, let's respond to it. How are we to take this? How are we to put this into action? How do we be the church and display the kingdom this morning? First thing is that you need to pray that God would cultivate your heart. Here's the truth. I talked a lot about different soils and how you may have weeds and you may have sin in your life. You are not capable of tilling up your soil. You are not capable of changing what type of soil you are. That is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. But... In John chapter 15, Jesus tells us the story of a vine, and he is the vine, and we are the branches, right? And he says, you will produce fruit when what? You abide in me. And he says that the Father is the vine dresser, and the vine dresser actually prunes and removes every branch that does not bear fruit. So that tells us right there that God is in the nature. He is in the business of cultivating soil, but it happens when we abide in him, not as a fan, not as a distant follower, but as one who has submitted as his disciple to surrender to his will. That's step number one. And step number two, we need to be the sower for others in our lives. Right? Jesus is the one who is sowing the word. He is throwing the seed. But here's the truth. Jesus has invited us into this mission to spread the gospel, to take his word to this world. And it is a mission that you, that I have been given. And just like the sower in this story, we don't get to discriminate who receives that word. We don't discriminate because we can't see the heart. We can't tell if this heart is going to receive that word or not. We can't tell if this person is open to accepting what God has for them or not. But God is the only one who can discern the condition of the heart. And we are just simply called to extend the truth to others in our lives, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers. We are called to take the gospel. It is our responsibility and it is our mission. And God will do the work of cultivating their heart. Don't worry about that. Just take the word. Take the message. Because there are people who are dying and will go to hell if they don't know Jesus. So may God cultivate our hearts. May he produce fruit in us that overwhelms, that overflows, so that we can extend that goodness and grace to others. Let's pray.